Hey, my name is Madhav and you're listening to Podbox, the art of visual storytelling. In today's episode, we are continuing a dialogue about independent filmmaking. If you look at the culture across different countries, you will find that films are often divided into two categories, mainstream and independent. An independent film is a beast of creative expression because it can challenge society head on. Think of it as an utmost expression from a poet that doesn't get lost in translation. So we wanted to make sure that this episode provided you with a great amount of insight into independent filmmaking. Today, we are in conversation with Anurag Kashyap, who has been creating stories that push the cultural norms in the Indian film industry. Anurag has directed movies like Black Friday, Bombay Talkies, Gangs of Wasepur, and Dave D. The latter two earned Anurag a letter of appreciation from Martin Scorsese. Anurag has also produced numerous films and has stood up for each story in moments where the Indian censor board or media try to regulate their expression or language. In this conversation, Anurag provides lessons from his career, management style, and challenges he faces every time he's making a film. So regardless of which film industry you're associated with, this conversation will add more value to your career and art. Let's get to it. Uh, what inspired you to become a filmmaker you know i i don't know it was a very kind of a gradual organic process i really didn't know if i wanted to be a filmmaker i was i was a i became a cinephile somewhere around 92 93 and i wanted to be part of movies in any which way possible and i started off the easy way which was i was doing theater so i started acting and because i could write a lot so i started ghost writing and i i just wanted to be on the set so it was a very gradual process i learned how to write a film script and then i wanted to turn my own film script into films i didn't know if i wanted to be a filmmaker early on i i i didn't think i wanted to be a filmmaker until i became a filmmaker <laughs> and what did that feel like i in a sense uh it's the same thing it's like I didn't know I wanted to be part of movies until I discovered movies and at the film festival in 1993 and when I discovered movies in such a big way and I saw so many films that's when I decided I want to be in movies and I immediately packed my bags and came to Bombay similarly one day I was writing a script for a filmmaker called Shivam Nair and in the process of writing i fell in love with it and i wanted to do it myself so i called up shivam so i said can i direct it myself and he says if you think you can why not go ahead and that's when i decided to become a filmmaker so for me it's always the process that i've loved and it's always been gradual it was not a plan i've never planned anything <laughs> every time i've planned something it's not worked out so when you decided to become a director and do it all by yourself what was the transition like from being an actor to a writer and then a director like what what was that preparation like i was doing everything just to keep myself busy because i was uh, in the city of bombay and i was doing theater and it would keep me busy when i would be free i didn't know what to do with myself and i had a lot of energy so i would sit down and write something and uh, i was supposed to be doing a play and the the director of the play passed away in the middle of the rehearsals while we were doing rehearsals and the play was never staged i started writing my own play so i can be put myself in it so in the process i discovered writing 
and that writing uh, took me places people wanted me to write more and then i discovered that okay people like my writing so i started writing more i was just doing ghost writing mostly for money and things i, I never like and then one day i got credit for it and when i got credit for it it translated into bigger things because i was uh, there was a film called autonaran and somebody else had written it and they were planning to not go ahead with it because they thought the script wasn't working and i had a take on it i said can i try once they said sure and i tried and it worked so they gave me a credit on it and then that credit led me to ramgopal verma who wanted me to write satya and i enjoyed being part of satya because i was part of the film from its inception so i was the first person to come on board while he was shooting a movie called daur right and then slowly i brought in saurabh shukla we started bringing in actors casting then the shooting location he also made me do some second unit work when i did not know how to even handle a camera i was part of post production i saw a whole film come together right and coming together of satya from the its inception to its release is what became my film school so wow and by, yeah. after that i was i love the process of it i like the process of handling actors writing and then i was writing a short film for shyamna the same director of autonaran and when i finished writing the script and it was it came from a personal space i called him up in the night and i said sir i feel like i want to do it myself and he said go ahead and in a week's time i was directing right so it was just just as always at that moment i felt like doing things and it has happened like that for me so at that stage you were already aware of the entire process of direction yes yeah by then i had already written some three films yeah three feature films which were which were released out in cinemas and i had one feature film that had not released but played at the festival by hansel mehta yeah and i was at part of two scripts that were kind of i one i walked out of one did not happen at that time which was deepa mehta's water on which i was doing the dialogues and i was on the set and that film went into some, got into some political trouble and it didn't happen and after that i decided i want to do my own film you also wrote the dialogue for nayak right yeah that that happened after i made my first film after i made my first film uh, and anil kapoor saw my first film and me and anil kapoor were talking about doing a film together at that time nayak came to him so he got me on board nayak and he was the one recommended me to shankar and he said that i had to try this young boy and he's he is very good at doing the dialogues and things and then i started working with shankar and nayak was a remake of mudalwan which was shankar's yeah. original tamil film and he wanted to do it in hindi and that's how i got on board nayak and now you guys are acting together yeah so yeah, yeah. there's been a long journey i think all 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 my me and my anil kapoor all my all all our stories are part of this movie called ak versus ak so there's a lot in there are you excited about it ah uh, i don't know i i i hate watching myself i i i don't like acting so much i hate watching myself i enjoyed doing theater a lot but cinema acting in cinema i am extremely self conscious i don't like to watch myself because act, when you are on screen you end up watching yourself and not the film is a kind of a thing that happens so i don't like that so do you don't even watch uh, the playbacks uh, no never 
Wow. No. Oh. Well, all right. So before we get into your direction and, you know, your acting, what I love about your writing is that, first of all, the characters, like most, most of the stories are character driven. And on top of that, when it comes to your dialogue, that dialogue has an immense quality of realism to it, right? Yeah, yeah. So what is that approach of developing a character's voice for you? I try to keep it simple because uh, my I, I actually, when I came into this industry, had a massive handicap, which was most of the write, dialogue writers would write in Urdu. And I did not know Urdu. And I, I used spoken language a lot. So I stepped away from Urdu. And what happened was Ram Gopal Verma, being a filmmaker who's from Andhra Pradesh and who's from Hyderabad, he his, he did not understand Hindi a lot, very well then. And because he did not understand Hindi a lot, that was a great contribution to cinema because he picked up writers like Neeraj Vora and Sanjay Chail for Rangila. So a film like Rangila and a dialogue like Rangila wouldn't have uh, found their way into Indian cinema, the street language, if it was a filmmaker who understand Hindi very well. So when Neeraj Vora and Sanjay Chail were writing dialogues for Angila, and people would say, that's not how you write dialogues. But Ram Gopalarma's reaction was, but everybody's enjoying it. Everybody's laughing to it. So, And that's how people talk. So why can't they be dialogues? So because Rangila preceded the Satya, Rangila preceded Daud, and Neeraj Vora and Sanjay Chail were part of Rangila and Daud, it helped me a lot because Ram Gopalarma by then was willing to take chances with somebody who used spoken language and could express themselves. So if it wasn't for Rangila and the before Satya, I wouldn't have found an expression. This is I, I could my I have a good command over the Hindi language and I write like a spoken language, which is why like for me when I attempted to write a long form novel, I could not because my grammar and my commas and my full stops were not in place. It was like 100-page long sentence that I wrote with ellipsis. <laughs> wow. So, oh. And that that helps me in dialogue writing because then it becomes spoken language. The moment it becomes grammatical, it, it sounds like a written language. It doesn't sound like a spoken language. And when you use spoken language, you can do so much with it. Metaphorically, you can thematically, you can, you can actually express in ways which, are much, which is much more powerful and sounds real than something that's so profound and sounds philosophical and sounds like a quote. Right. So, but, but how do you dramatize it? My whole entire process is extremely spontaneous. I, I, do, not, I do not spend a lot of time thinking and drawing, drawing character arts and things. And it's just memory. You know, you have a character and you're writing the character and the character is growing as you write. So the growth is very organic. The, the, it, it finds its own arc. It finds its own storytelling. It's almost like you reach a point where the character is telling his story to me and I'm just being a, 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 a typist. I'm just writing it down. Well, yeah, like a vessel for it. Yeah, yeah. While we have you, please subscribe to our show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you get your podcasts elsewhere, share this episode with your friends. Your support is monumental and thank you again for tuning in. 
So you never do like a lot of drafts or treatments before you get to pages? No, no. I, I straight away start writing the script. That's really interesting. Vikram um, yeah. uh, told me that uh, when he wrote Devdi, he gave the script to you and you, t- you kept the script yeah. and then you guys forgot about, like he forgot about it. And then one day you called him and you asked him to come over and then there, there was a script. He had made a few changes and I think you changed the ending even? Yeah, I changed the ending. I, I changed some elements to it. He was very upset because <laughs> he loved Devdas and we had lots of arguments about it. So I told him, like, listen, I'm directing the film. When when I write for you and you direct the film, I won't come in. So right now, let me do my thing. And we have followed it like that. Every time like I've written dialogues for him, I do the same thing. I write it and I forget. It's his film. So Dave D, he was very close to it because it was the first time he had written something. So he was so attached to it. So I had to literally keep him away from the set. Otherwise, we would end up fighting. Oh, wow. But yeah, I, I changed I changed, because I, he knows Devdas so well. And he worked on the film and he loves it so, so much. So I said, you know what? For me, the easier way is instead of adapting a book is you adapt the book. I adapt your screenplay. So I adapted Vikram's screenplay to the film rather than the book to the film. Like you said, you know, like you had to keep him offset. Otherwise, you guys would end up fighting. Yeah. Right. So how do you keep, how do you maintain that healthy dynamic between a relationship? Because, of course, you guys are friends, too. You know, you're just not colleagues. Yeah. I think for 20 years, we have worked like this. Uh, I never come in his way. He never comes in my way. So, like, say, for example, Vikram is such a sound filmmaker. And he has such a great editing mind and he's so much more objectivity than I have. And uh, so every time, like, it happened on Gangs of Vasyapur, it happened on, even now on Choked, it happened in many films, that I would make a film and I didn't know know how to bring it down further and I did not, I couldn't take out certain things because I'm in love with my material. So I would give the entire film to Vikram to edit. But I know if I'm sitting there, we'll end up fighting. I won't let him be himself. So I always, when I'm leaving the country, I give him the film. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even stay in the country. So because it's easy for me to take a small short flight and get back to my edit room and saying, what are you doing with my film? So every time I give him the film, I leave the country. I remember I was going to Brazil and I gave him Gangs of Vasipur. So I said, I'm going to Brazil. I'll be away for a month, 15 days a month. And this is heaven. You have the film and you do whatever you want to do with it. A month later, I'll come back and see it. And I had a seven-hour long cut. I came back after a month and he gave me back a four-hour film. He had taken out everything. And I was so furious with him. And I said, okay, fine, you've done your bit, now get lost. And I took his four-hour cut and I started putting back everything that I loved about my original cut. And it was still five hours, 20 minutes. So I, he, in, in that process, it shaved off 100 minutes of the film. And it became this tight film that everybody sees. And I realized that it's such a great process. Even with Chok, like I would, when I'm leaving the country, I would give him the film. I said, here's the film. I'm getting out of India. I'll do something else. When I come back, you see what you want to do with it. And he'll always do that. And after that, he would not say, it's okay, here's the film. Do what you want to do with it. And how often are you like surprised by what you see at the end of it? I'm always surprised. I always like what he brings to my film is something else because it's just, it's just a perspective that he has and we fight a lot I think the last time we fought was on Sacred Games once 
and we got into such immense fight because he was a showrunner and I was a director. The first time I did not have any control over the material, so I would react to things that he would edit out. And then after that, it, it was mutual. And then he would be like, "See what you want to say." And then I realized, no, it's like two people cannot control something like that. So I had, I had to give in. I had to give way to him. And his voice is also his voice is very strong. And I also have a very strong voice. So we would often clash. On it was the only time I think we had a fun time was AK versus AK because it was his movie and I was the actor. <laughs> so there was no 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 kind of a fight, creative fight between us. But I would much rather fight with him and have the process of working with him than anybody else because there's just there's so much trust. But does it ever get difficult for you to turn off the creative side when you're acting per se? Uh, no, uh, in the sense, it is sometimes irritating to me because sometimes I start thinking like, if I was the director, I wouldn't do this. But uh, I know that the film is made by the director. Only a director knows where his film is. So I, that's why I don't do not watch uh, the playback because I know I would react. I give my shot and I go straight back to my room. I don't even hang around because I don't want to add or subtract things to it. So I just be like an actor and step away from it. So at the end of the day, it's all about serving the story. It's all about serving the story and following the director. I only, I, as an actor, I've only followed the director because I'm not, one, I am really not keen about acting and I don't want to make acting into a career. So, so many a times I don't think about success or failure. Yeah. I, I sometimes support a film because I believe in the film and the idea and believe that this kind of film should be supported. Sometimes I act because it's a friend who has asked me to do it. And I love the friend too much. And I don't think beyond that. I don't think that is what it is it going to give me back. Right. Just to circle back a little bit about the same thing, but like from a director's perspective, right? So yeah. when you're directing, directing uh, a film, you're leading the set. What is the expectation that you have from your crew? Oh, nothing. It entirely depends on my equation and my relationship. If I'm working like like for with every cameraman, it's very different. Like with when I was working with Natraj and Subramaniam in Black Friday and Panch, that was still my learning process. And I would like you know, I only work by negation. I don't tell people what to do. Like especially with the crew members, especially with my collaborators, like the cinematographer, like the uh, so, uh, a production designer or the costume person, I tell them this doesn't work. I don't tell them what they should do. And that process works for me a lot more because unlike Motwani, who knows exactly where to put the camera because he has such a great sense of photography and he's the one who's taught me photography. So sometimes only when it doesn't seem right to me is when I tell them, my cameraman that, uh, can we do it like this? Can we do it any other way? And I, 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 always look for collaborators. Sometimes I work with camera people who work a certain way and it doesn't suit me. Then I will take over and I tell them that let's design the shot this way. Then I will design the shots. Otherwise, I I, I, I let my right. people collaborate. In the they're, like, they're like an equal to me on the set. They contribute as much creatively to the film as I, as I would bring on the set. And I do everything before the film begins. In the sense, on the script... I would narrate the script to them. I would discuss things. I would tell them we are not using these equipments. I don't tell them what equipment to use. I tell them we definitely won't be using shots like that. 
I have one very, I have a singular way of making a film, which is follow the characters, follow the narrative. We just follow the narrative. So, and and sometimes every everybody has their own deep aspirations and desires. Like every cinematographer you work with, they want to try out new things. They want to try out new cameras. They want to try out new technology. They want to try out new colors. And I let them treat it like their film. So often you see those elements that comes from my cinematographer or my production designer. So they always discuss it with me. We think, let's do this. And I'm like, if it doesn't interfere with my story, why not? Let's do it. And it, it becomes new for me as well. So I also kind of go on a set and everything is new for me. I think in Bombay Velvet, you must have had to like provide your production designer like a clear idea of what you want the reconstruction of the city to look like. I am... No, I, I wrote the script and the whole idea, the idea is always to make it seem real and believable. So including the Bombay Velvet, there was a script and I, at the most I remember just telling them how I see the main club roughly. And for yeah. that also I had a reference of a place. I had a reference of Eros cinemas. Right. The reference was Eros cinemas in, uh, in town. And that's how it became. Other than that, every detail and every research came from my production designer. She is the one who got whole research done, everything done. I, when I was preparing for Bombay over the years, I wanted to shoot the film in parts because, based on my experience, I assumed I'll never get the money to make the film. So I had over the years done my recce across the world, and since uh, Bombay at that time was a lot of art deco. And also, it was a city built by Portuguese. So I literally followed wherever the Portuguese went. I went to Brazil and Rio. I went everywhere where the Portuguese went. I went to Portugal and see that where are bits of Bombay there that, that I can replicate. So that was my homework that I had done before I got onto the film. But when we got onto the film, we got the money to build a set. When you start building a set, set the reference was entirely art deco and the reference was entirely worked on by my production designer. Like Niharika was doing the costumes. She, she, she's the one who worked and did her research on costumes and they had big booklets and they came and they showed me stuff. This is what they're planning to do. And, and because their homework was so much more and they were so much more invested in it, I would just tell them, let's not do this. I wouldn't tell them what to do because they were all kind of an equal collaborator. So in this is literally, I, I, that's my way of working in the sense. It also brings much more into my film than I can imagine or I would want. Yeah. Talking about equal collaborators, right? What, what is your approach towards recognizing talent? You know, like, or, and how do you bring them all together under one roof and kind of like create a community? So I think it's very simple in the sense, you know, we have been in that place when, when, when people did not believe in you. So my, my prime requisite with anyone is you have to have time for me. It's, it can't, don't, please don't balance my film with somebody else's film. So from actors to the whole crew members, I want them all to be just on my project right? for that time period. And I also work with music directors and people. That's why I end up working a lot with newer people. So new people who are hungry and who like, who have this desire to do so much, I pick them up. And it, it comes out. You hang out with them once or twice and it's fine. And there's right. also, I have a team of people who know me so well. So if somebody is moving on, 
they recommend the next person because they know exactly what I would not want. So if my first AD is moving on to do his or her own thing, they would recommend the next first AD. And the first AD often graduates to become the second unit director and then they move on to make their own film. So it becomes like a process. So if I don't have a production designer, uh, my production designer that's going out, I would sit down with her and say like, these are the three, four options we have. What do you think? And then she would tell me that this is the person I think you would get along with. And that's how, that's how it is because, you know, everybody knows their own community. How do you generate stories from the life you experience in Bombay? I, I don't generate stories. I like I interpret stories based on my life experience. I find stories when they come my way or I see stories when they come my way and I interpret them on the basis of my life experience. So I don't really generate them like that. Uh, it, it's just... Uh, I, my memory now is kind of slightly wonky. It's kind of fading. <laughs> Right. But I've had a very strong memory. So like, you know, I remember everything. And somehow, even though it's wonky, if you ask me somebody's name, I wouldn't remember all of him. But my memories of incidents and story, it just kind of flows out when I'm writing. When I'm writing, suddenly I don't know where it comes from. So a lot of everything that I feel, I put it out in writing. And it's obviously it comes through the interpretation of how I have lived my life or I've seen people or I've interacted with them. It's funny, like when you talk about memory, it, it just uh, it reminds me of my grandfather. Uh, yeah. Uh, what he did was like he he owned a couple a uh, couple of cinemas in Haryana, right? Okay. And and he was he was a massive cinema buff. Like anytime you would go into his room or or his office, he would usually have his you know like old old uh, Bollywood music on, and you go in and you sit with him, and he would tell you everything about that project. He would tell you the director's name, the actor's name, you know, like everything. And he, it, I think that that is one thing. Most, most, most old cinema owners and all single screen cinema owners yeah. still till date have that kind of a passion. They remember everything. They remember more about film industry and filmmakers and, and actors and directors than, than multiplex owners do. They remember individual things of it because every film that has, they have picked up to play in the cinema screen is so special to them. So special to them. And they they, they have stories to tell. They, they have, I have known some people who tell me how, say, when Padosan came out and nobody saw it and it kind of got withdrawn and then Rajshree picked it up and six months later, Padosan released again and how everybody started coming into cinemas. And they have these amazing stories to tell if you listen to them. Yeah. About people behavior and consumer behavior and, and film cinephiles, how they kind of turned around. They tell you stories about which film, what moment somebody became a star and how they were before. Yeah. They're great stories. Yeah, like talking about consu consumer behavior, right? I remember this one time I, my grandfather told me the story about like he bought a film for, I, I think it was uh, 2.5 lakhs at the time, something like that. Yeah. And he bought the film and like a week goes by and nobody's coming in you know like they're losing money on this thing um so and you know like his manager is concerned and you know like the distributors are like uh you know like we're not going to give you the money back it's just like oh you bought this film for these many weeks you have to play it right yeah so what my grandfather did he started putting up houseful signs after yeah. every show 
and a week later okay. the house was actually full and people wow. just that, yeah that's what oh, they, they used to do that there's a lot of movies that actually found an audience because filmic because the cinema owner believed in it my most favorite story like that is of parinda avidhuno uh, chopra's film parinda that did not quite open the way it was it was meant to be and there's one cinema owner in delhi who loved the film so much and when everybody was putting that film out there he decided to stick to it and he started doing the hospital signs and i remember seeing the film at least eight times in that cinema hall wow that is that is yeah that is incredible so in the beginning you mentioned a few films you know you mentioned satya you you mentioned the projects that uh, uh, ramgopal verma did and right around the time I, there was kind of a rebirth of independent cinema when it comes to india what i'm curious about is like when you started your journey you know like you started writing you got your credit and you started directing eventually did you start off with the decision that you know like i'm going to be making bold statements in the sense that you know like sure there are influences uh, of french new wave and there's there's a sense of realism involved and i'm going to be using spoken language oh nothing was decided i think you know you all the experiences kind of shape you up so like for me there's a boom of independent cinema and i would not say really independent cinema because there's still genre movies now they started with bandit queen and then there was plus channel that was making movies like israt ki subani then ram gopal verma made satya and shul and all those films so they were independent only because these people did not work with major stars and they worked with actors who were from theater yeah. but they were still making genre movies they were still movies built around crime or or like you know on 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 popular genreic stuff uh, thematic thematically they were like popular stuff they were always built around crime and they were built around teens a much more independent scene started out i think 10 years later which i remember the films like patang and films like parzaniya yeah they started coming out it started much later but at that time there were still genre films and and genre films always exciting so for me my beginning it was also genre films i was telling stories of crime i was telling stories of rebellion i was also trying to tell stories about the underground of the like you know the march was a film about this underground the first film my short film last in tomakali was a very fantastical film about a very strange serial killer so i was not really doing very art house or mood mood pictures black friday i was not trying to make any statement i was just trying to stick to the book and stick to the truth because also very i was very too naive to have an opinion of my own to make a statement and it, the film is very powerful only i think because i was very 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 innocent and i was very i did not have an opinion of my own so sticking to the truth it became very powerful my op- i started forming political opinions after black friday well after black friday got stuck i was like how can a film get stuck and why how can a film not release you know and then i was told that you're naming names in the film i said why should i not name names because i've seen cinema across the world which is about people a jfk calls jfk jfk and oswald is called oswald so like why can't the daudi ibrahim be called daudi ibrahim and thackeray be called thackeray or a politician be called by their names and so the idea of cinema that names names didn't exist at that time because everything everybody would camouflage their real stories as fiction stories so out of all my innocence and being unaware is where the black friday came out of my political awareness started with black friday with black friday 
fighting the film when the film was in the court and fighting things and the the lawyer for the accused was the very same person whose unpublished book voices uh, a great lawyer called sebastian is a human rights lawyer and his unpublished book book voices i used that as a source material and i was trying to tell him that listen i've used your source material he says yes but the case is still sub judice you cannot make a film where you saying these things about these people when the case is still sub judice because the film makes them look like perpetrators let the case be over and put out your film it doesn't matter if you used my report or my unpublished collection of experiences as a source material i learned a lot in that moment like you know sebastian was a great guy i learned a lot from akar patel and people who had because midday was the producer and my political awareness started post because i was not even in on the internet i didn't even have a mail id at that time i did not even have a passport when i made black friday so it all started after that and then black friday got stuck and i had so many questions my first film was stuck second film was stuck and i was going through a marriage that was breaking up i think i that was the point at the age of 34 that i started to grow up is when i got my passport i started to travel across the world i started traveling to film festivals i started to understand a whole lot of things and my political opinion and awareness started from there before that i never had an opinion of my own to put in the movies no and after that after that like when i was making gulal gulal was actually my first consciously a political film where i was trying to make a larger statement from the humanitarian point of view in this is the people fighting and everybody is so rooted in the history and identity and all polit- all political wars are about uh, identity wars and 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 in between the people who who because that's the one thing that they hold on to when they have nothing else is identity right and that's where the strife the strife starts from and gulal became a film about that and you i didn't want to judge either character because everybody seems right in how they see the world and that's where it all started and then the repercussions of it consequences of it so over a period of time i started to learn how to not trust my own political opinion onto the characters and how to maintain objectivity and how to be neutral handle the story as it is and deal but in the sense earlier there was this whole need of wanting to please everyone because i view as a filmmaker you want everyone to see okay this is the point you're trying to make and be agree with you and then you realize no people are not going to always agree with you and and why am i trying to please everybody and just just state things as they should and be as objective as possible and have a rational and and there will be consequences and there will be reactions and it's important to evoke sometimes it's important that people it provokes discussion and arguments and the film serves its purpose and i'm not going to please everybody and that is around the time that i kind of started to empower other people to make their own film and have their own voices because i there was nobody to 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 kind of a back me up or direct me or kind of even like you know mentor me so i started doing that for other filmmakers who had strong voices so they could retain their voices without anybody kind of curbing them that was my phase where i just became a shield to people rather than producing films for them and 
So like, I, I can imagine in a situation like that, you know, like at the end of the day, nothing is going to be compromised. The story that, that you intended to make is what the audience is going to see eventually, right? Yeah. There is a still a certain degree of resistance that we find. I mean, there's a, a whole thing with, you know, uh, the censorship. There are like certain extremist go- groups uh, who don't essentially understand the, the, the entire context, but they hear something and they just lash out. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that, that you would experience with sacred games. No, I've experienced that with a lot of films. I've experienced that with Urta Punjab, with Gulal, with Gangs of Wasipur, with I don't know how many films, many films. Even choked. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I've experienced that with everything. I understand that at this point in time, you have been fighting this battle for a while. And yeah. now you're more seasoned to it and, you know, you, you can take your stand, right? But at the same time, how do you inspire that change? How do you educate uh, an audience that might be limited to a singular perspective. You, you you can't do anything if you think about the audience. You really cannot. That's where the problem begins. When we start thinking about how the audience would react and you would not want them to react a certain way and you want them to see exactly your point of view, then what happens is you start compromising your what you're trying to say. When you start compromising everywhere, then, then like that also becomes like you are trying to reach to the to everyone and to reach everyone then you start dumping it down and then you start simplifying it and then you start making it more entertaining and titillating and, and that's when you lose it right so i i would i what i do is i would rather work backwards work on less cost minimal cost work backwards and that's how you create and that's how you do things talking about the business end of things now, you know, like you, you keep the cost minimal, you get the job done and you try to make the best film you can make at that point in time. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. And considering that there have been many projects, even with Choke, you, you ended up casting actors who are incredible, but they, they don't have too many credits yet. Right. So, yeah, so, yeah. so how do you guarantee, uh, guarantee uh, the success of a project I don't like for me. I I I would much rather make the right project, and I know the one thing good thing about the OTT platforms like Netflix or anything is that it's more democratic. Like in the sense, we watch a lot of foreign shows. We don't know who's in it. As Indians, I don't know who's the actor in Money Heist, who's playing the professor, yeah. or who's the actor in Narcos, right? Right. But we watch it. We watch it for the material that is there. So the great thing about OTT is because it is always there. You might not discover it on the first day or the second day or the fifth day. You might discover it five months later. But you will discover it. And the power of great storytelling is that it creates credits. And it creates identity. So for me, my focus first is on the content that I'm trying to create. And next comes is what's the right way of doing it. And then comes the idea of who's going to be in it because that's for me comes third and who's going to be in it is totally based on their own personalities and the requirement of the script. Right. If I was making a film for theater, then that becomes the first priority. Who's in it. Right. So it it works other way on OTT gives me a much more freedom. And so choked for me, it's, much more easier to work with people who have don't have a lot of credit than a movie like Mukhabaz. I love that film. Because I'm working, yeah. 
because I'm working with people who don't have much more credit. I will have very small budgets to work from. Once you have completed the film, you've seen it, and you're proud of the film, right? Do you ever make uh, adjustments to the marketing budget of it? I don't get. I don't. I, I don't get involved in marketing at all. Okay. There's some. There's some things that totally stay away from is marketing, and it's like literally even like uh, there must be like twenty percent of times that i have been involved with the poster design of the film i step back i the idea is to get the right person and keep the power of saying no to it that's it that's all i do so i tell them i show them the film let them interpret the film i they will come up with designs and things and i'll say okay i like this or i don't like this this is not the direction i want to go in right. it's not my film Right. Similarly with trailer, trailer. I think only twice I sat down and made my own version of a trailer. Otherwise, I'm like you, you, you know your job best, and you are the marketing person. You know the audience. You make the trailer. If it this does not look like my film, I'll say no to it. So, did you always had this management style, or is it something that you acquired as you grew as an artist? No, this is something that I I it started from not literally not knowing anything. i came in blind i've learned everything in the process and i know that where not to waste my energy i have seen filmmakers who get so involved and also i learned it when i made patch my first film i was so involved with everything and i waited for that film to come out and blow people's minds because i was like this film is gonna like put me right up there and did not come out i waited too much for it and then black friday again it got stuck so i realized that i my job is to write and make a film i'll make a film and the film gets so where i deliver the film i move on to my next film that's the only way i can move on in life otherwise the more i get involved with marketing and expectations and everything i will be much more depressed as compared to other people if it does not deliver and i've seen that happen to a lot of people so that's which is why i have ended up with a filmography which is so big because i don't wait for the results and i don't wait for how it does i do something my way and i prom- i deliver what i promise to the filmmaker or the producers and producers are happy if producer is happy my job is over and i move on to my next film then it leave i leave it to the studio to market to release to do whatever they will call me to talk about the film when they need to call me until then i am already list like oh, i finished choked and i have already finished shooting my next film as three days shooting left when the lockdown happened and while when i'll by the time i'll finish my three day shoot that is left i will i would have finished the script for my next three films and i'll be reading that after one after the other because i i'm not going to wait that uh, when cinema is open and when the film what happens i i if i get involved more with that and i get invested more with that then the more chances of you get so obsessed with it that you track it every day and you kind of you know the expectations from it is so much more right that is that is really interesting to me because you know like uh, a lot of times a lot of times when i you know like hang out with my friends who are artists or filmmakers or producers or like just artists of any kind right they they think that the entire process is so subjective it has to be romanticized and they kind of like use it at, uh, sometimes uh, i don't want to generalize too much but sometimes they use it as a as a medium of uh ignorance you know they want to stay stay up late and they kind of like procrastinate in that process because they are just 
thinking about that one thing they want to create and it just leads to an endless procrastination yeah because but that's also because you know the perceptions like how the problem is is a it's a disease of greatness it's a disease i i call it a is actually a mental disease of people who want to don't the, the people who like to create art like i enjoy the process i don't care if i am a great artist or not i don't care even if somebody calls me an artist i literally don't care i want to continue making films i want to keep making films i'll worry the day somebody does not allow me to make movies the problem with a lot of my friends is that it really matters to them that how they are perceived in terms of great artists if somebody does not like my film i'll argue with them but but it is not like the the final perception of being this great artist and great filmmaker that's thrust on to people i can't deal with i've met so many great filmmakers and i've been disappointed by the people that they are right is- because they turn they they turn a, like you know they turn like a they talk about themselves in third person and and they become this thing that is i don't know is as if like they have a as if they're being displayed on a wall and they need to behave only a certain way so i have i i run away from that and i i know a lot of my friends a lot of my friends who have made a film and have not been able to make another film because it really matters to them how the world sees them right in terms of the great artists and and is is very difficult arguing because i put everything out there and for them contrarian to what i think i would always feel uh they would accuse me of like you know it really matters to you that people see you as standing up for the right thing to do so that's why you say things out there and i'm like i am politically very incorrect human being <laughs> so i really don't care what anybody thinks i just i will be worrying a lot and i'll be like devastated if somebody takes away my filmmaking from me if somebody says that you can't make another film i want to i have like ideas for next 7 to 10 years i want to continue making movies i love that because i would say yes to more anurakasha films for the rest of my life um, so like 10 years right you have ideas or plans for the projects that you might do for the next 10 years but at the same time you're going to be growing for the next 10 years no i don't know whether i'm growing or not growing because you know my thing is like i have these many stories which i am in love with and i have this need to put out all the stories and i know each one is so consuming that i at least have three stories which will consume at least 18 to 24 months of my life <laughs> if i even try to put them together and tell them right so i i have those kind of stories and there's so much more that i also demand of them and i i only have the need to make every film and every idea that i am toying with in my head at any given time there's six to eight ideas so if somebody says that i have this much money and can start shooting tomorrow i'll start working on that idea okay and i'll put it out there right So so that's the whole thing and so I just have these too many stories that I get fascinated with and I I I like you know many many events around you trigger off a story and I always have something or the other which is why if you ask my actors or my people they say oh yeah you know I told them like ugly I thought of in 2006 I ended up making in 2013 for choked I 
found the script in 2015 the writer has been waiting since then the actress i finalized in 2017 she's been waiting since then yeah. but the film comes out now because it everything has to fall into place for it to happen so when i meet the right person i tell them i have something i want to do with you so, but the problem is that, that person will start waiting for it right. but i don't know the other pieces of the puzzle don't fit in so it becomes a wait for sometimes sometimes like it's rarely like gangs of asipur that it happened the fastest i met the guys who came to me jishan kadri from asipur and he was telling his story and he was so keen in like 15 days he churned out a small novella i went wrote the script i found money i found cast together and the film happened within a year but that's the only once okay. that's the only once every time it's taken forever and so i have stories for like it's like okay this film is not happening right now i'm ready with the other one If that is not happening right now i'm ready with the other one so i have more ideas than time at the moment so so when you reach out to someone and you meet someone and you're like we have to do something together right or you sign someone on a, onto a project but you don't find the finance for it and like you said they they're waiting right in that gap uh, how often do you feel do you, do you have to keep in touch with them about about the same project uh, what is that dialogue like no no uh, there's no dialogue in the sense they have a free i think by i've spent so long a time here 27 years that they know they know by now how i function so and my house and my space is a open space so whenever they feel any question anything they just come in and ask me or i tell them to listen sit aside have a drink go home but i don't stop them so they they have a free thing they can come in and go out whenever they want so like my actor and my writer of chot yeah would be hanging around on the set of everything that i did <laughs> every day sit there and look at me when is aarti happening you know that's that's is is a atmosphere that's kind of happened after over a long period of time it's almost like a commune yeah that you know so i stay here and anybody can come and go at any given time the people two people don't even know each other but staying in the same house when i look at the work that you have done and you know like uh, the kind of uh, writers you have had on or the actors that you have had on it's it's like i understand that you have a deep love for theater right and speaking of yeah. speaking of gangs of wasipur a lot of the actors on that project came from a theater background and uh, yeah. and i guess that contributed to why that film was so successful yeah it was a mildly successful it's not really so it it became a thing of legend and mythology over a period of time online by torrents and downloading and cinema cinema it was just moderate oh yeah uh, yeah that reminds me now yeah yeah there was a thing about the torrenting about it as well yeah yeah the film was a became massive mana all my work people have mostly seen online in cinemas i think only two or three times that i can recall where like you know it was a moderate success i've only seen moderate success like devdi was a moderate success or gangs of wasapur was a moderate success ugly was just about average mukkabaz was just about average and manmarziya was just about average other than that i really haven't seen much of a success in the film but my costs are my costs are so low that people haven't lost much money except bombay bullet which was a disaster but then most of it most of my work i think people have seen online I have to disagree with that because in my experience I think I've only seen two of your films online. 
manmarziyan and chirped there are not many audience like you in the sense who will follow a filmmaker's work there are a lot of people who follow stars right and filmmaking is, is something that costs a lot of money yeah it's like more people go to a zoo than they go to a museum right yeah <laughs> yeah so it is it, it, it is like that so there are many few people who follow filmmakers and those are often people who are not going to line up on a friday or a saturday when the film comes out to go and see the film because they will take their own time to watch it they'll prefer a night show or some show when they have free time and free mind space to watch a film but in india films don't last that long in cinemas so people line up for superstars the days of uh, golden jubilees and diamond jubilees are long gone i mean that, those were due yeah, to long gone. yeah the- No, no, no. I'm saying that today's world actually works for me, where people watch films on Netflix and Prime and OTT because that way it also generates revenue for me. Can you make a clear distinction between cinema and entertainment? Ah, uh, I don't know. My my thing is my, my, the definition of entertainment is pretty skewed. <laughs> yeah, in the sense like uh, people think so for me, anything that engages you is great art. if it engages me in cinema is done its job engagement can be anything it can intellectually stimulate me it can evoke something in me it can provoke me it can make me laugh it entertains me it thrills me everything is entertainment for me as long as there is an engagement if it doesn't engage me and it i'm indifferent to it then it doesn't matter what people call it because then for me is this it does nothing to me so uh, for me entertainment is everything all kinds of emotions entertainment entertainment does not only mean that you it makes you laugh entertainment means that it engages you in a in a some kind of a deeply emotional or sensory way or or intellectually or some way or the other it engages you it leaves you with something and that's entertaining for me So how does cinema go beyond that? I don't know. Come on, you have to know. I really I don't think so because you know you can't consciously do it. Things happen. Sometimes you don't like I had never knew what gangs of Wasapur would become. Had I known what gangs of Wasapur would become, uh, I probably would have held back on part 2 and released it to extract more or something else nobody involved with it knew what it would become and when something i expected a movie like bombay lot do so much more when it actually did right it did nothing so i'm saying you can't plan those things you 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 don't decide what can cinema do more when it will do more you will know it has done more <laughs> sometimes sometimes a film comes out and it it does just so many things that probably if you ask a filmmaker he wouldn't know that he was doing that i know i know i know like imagine parasite for example yeah nobody in the wildest dream would have imagined even including the filmmaker that parasite will end up becoming the first foreign language film to win the best film oscar and it becomes a film that's dubbed in every language in every country people are watching parasite in hindi in india in tamil and telugu in india are they people have seen yeah wow it's on amazon prime It's Amazon Prime, and and you know they have been dubbed action movies in every language in India. Yeah, 
I'm talking about dubbed action movie like Marvel movies or Anacondas or horror movies. But a movie like Parasite is a first. Yeah. It's a first. Nobody knew what it would do. It has done something beyond. And if you ask me, my still my favorite Bong Joon-ho film is Memories of Murder and not Parasite. For me, I think he's already made a film greater than Parasite. He he's consistently been a great filmmaker and he's consistently a genre filmmaker. He's not an art house filmmaker. He's a genre filmmaker. And a genre filmmaker where you you don't know where to put him in. He's not mainstream. He's not art house. Yeah. He's a genre filmmaker. He's a very successful genre filmmaker who has his own unique voice. Right. And it's amazing to see him being himself and finding that success. And he did something beyond cinema. But he didn't know he was doing it. I see what you're saying. And when, when say, for example, Cuauhtémoc made a very personal film like Roma, very personal film. In other circumstances, Roma would have been, like in 30s and 40s, Roma today would have been a different kind of a classic. Today, Roma comes out and people go and see it and they appreciate it for what it is. Maybe under pressure or whatever. And then the film goes out and and takes on a life of its own that i don't think somebody is making a very personal film that nobody was backing him up on and netflix decided to back him on a personal film and netflix is the biggest distributor of genre products and biggest distributor of genre products has backed dream films for filmmakers like coro or or bombas marriage story or irishman yeah or scorsese who would not get money for that yeah other than that other than that they have only done genre things other than that they only follow a formula but no big studios back these filmmakers to do their most personal films that they were living with for a long time yeah something is very strange how things happen and nobody does it intentionally only after it happens that you realize okay something has happened that is much more beyond what one expects like when i made lunchbox produced lunchbox yeah i met this i met ritesh batra at the Cannes Festival when it was Uran was playing there and he was distributing pamphlets for the Doha Film Pavilion and he just wanted to pitch a story to me and i liked the story i said okay can you come to india we'll talk and when he came to india i was shooting gangs of whatsapp i was busy yeah and he was waiting here and he was waiting here discovering the city and he came up with the idea of lunchbox he is still date till date he has not made the film that he pitched me he came up with the idea of lunchbox and because we had one or two films they pitched the film that got selected at the berlin cinema things happened it took a life of its own lunchbox got made you know i i was like literally i did not even have time when he asked me can he help me with the hindi dialogues i did not even have time vasan bala had to find time to do the dialogues for him and that film end, ends up going and finding its own life that became one of the most successful crossover language films at that time from here in europe and us and we didn't know what lunchbox would do and i was so when i saw lunchbox it was so unlike any film i had done or been part of it and it was releasing in india i was like i will sound so false if i go out and voice anything about it i literally asked i reached out to karan johar i think why don't you represent the film and to get it released in india because it's a love story and people will believe you more than they would believe me and utv and karan johar promoted the film and it put it out there and i stayed out of the picture wow because we didn't know how things will happen you never know right but at the same time though like at the same time you like 
I I feel like still like there is there is still a certain understanding of what what the project could be. You know, like I'm 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 not essentially talking in the sense of like, um, uh, in in the in 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 terms of the financial success of the film, right? Uh, just just looking at how personal personal some of these projects are, you know what you know the weight of that project, right? I mean, yeah. especially when I'm writing, like, uh, anytime that I'm writing something and, and uh, I'm writing something that's really personal to me, uh, it's just like, I know that I'm not trying for it to resonate with people. Like, that's, that's not the intention at all. But just because it has come from a really, uh, a deep subjective place, uh, it allows me to be really certain <coughs> about it. Right, and I, and I and I can then you know like maybe maybe it's just fantasy. It's just like, uh, because I, I'm not I'm not essentially a screenwriter, uh, but I just love to write write in order to develop my my storytelling. You know, uh, so I, I I guess what I'm trying to come to is like, what is that one part of that entire process that that kind of like enables you to have faith in that project? you know regardless of its success or for me for me it's always the it's always the individual at the hem of it i only i it's not the script it's not it's the filmmaker and his passion that makes me buy in it's always the individual i look into a person's eyes and i know this person wants to make a film and will make a film and will make a film at any cost and i don't i don't see them as somebody who's just trying to there's this desperate need to make that film they have and i i only buy into that nothing else. nothing else it's never a script it's never who's into it nothing it's just that person and having a one to one interaction with that person i say only say yes to that uh you uh, you only say yes to the director And and often often if it's the first film, okay. How do you like keep elevating your writing style, you know, like or your direction style? And I don't know. I I just just I'm honestly telling you, I'm just constantly in the in the moment. So I think if you see the if you see a growth, then it probably comes from people I associate with, <laughs> or maybe just my judgment of people keeps improving. I have never worked on. I've literally never worked on growing. In the sense, you know, you you just keep getting more aware. You keep reading more. You keep watching more. So I've never consciously worked on having a style or a technique or growing. I was I was mod. I was petrified of using green screen and VFX. I am petrified of technology. I'm scared of it. So for me, I would work with somebody who understands that, and I, if I believe them, and when they say that that this is how to do it, and I think they will do it, and I will buy into that, and I'll go with them, and I've had con bad consequences of it. Like if you remember one one portion in Gangs of Wasipur that I still cannot bear and whenever it happens i close my eyes because i don't i just want to skip it right it's such an essential part of the film that you cannot ignore it and it comes at a point where it destroys my film 
So however people see it, for me, Gangs of Vastapur, that one chunk in the end, when Faisal Khan is killing Ramadhir sitting on the toilet, mm-hmm. the way the blood way the blood flows out of Ramadhir Singh, it's almost like somebody's opened a tap. Yeah, I remember that. The 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 the, the, psychol- the nature of the blood is not like that. Yeah. It is just so false and fake. And I believe people who were supposed to deliver on it and said, this is, let's do it this way and it will be right. And they did not deliver it. And in my head, I have not forgiven them for that. That for me is the worst that I have seen of my own something on screen. So that's why I'm very petrified of that. So it always comes from me believing in somebody who says it can be done like that. Like in Choked, the entire house is a set, inside of a house is a set, surrounded by green screen. I'm so scared of green screen. Every shot, if you would see this much of a green, I would say, can we put the curtain or something to cover the green so we don't have to depend on the special effects person. And my cameraman was so confident. So and my insecurity was so much more. I would like want him want to see that how it would look. And there's a whole second unit that from every vantage point was shooting plates of the original building where we shot the exterior. Right. And finally in the film, you you cannot make the difference. It looks like a real location. Yeah. Right. So I'm very happy with this. But Vasipur, that one sequence, I cannot forgive and forget. So that's that's how petrified I am of technology. I'm still that person who learned everything on Steenback when I saw Ram Gopal Verma, my mentor, edit the film on Steenback. So for me, I, I still can work with that can that only has 400 meters and like, you know, can only last for four and a half minutes. So you have, everything was designed, your shots, everything was designed based on four and a half, half minutes because it would run out and you have to change the roles. Yeah. So those are the things, those are the things that I always, I've grown up with. So I'm adapting to the new world all the time. So to adapt to the new world is the people around me, the younger guys, people around me who are very well versed with the new technology, new world, their contribution makes it look like I'm growing. But I don't think I'm, I'm like there's a conscious effort in trying to grow. I mm-hmm. only want to, I have only one need is I want to tell every story that I have inside of me. That's it. That's all. <laughs> I think that that's a spectacular need and I'm pretty sure the the world now, now you know, like with this uh, this new new age of cinema and how we consume it, I, I'm pretty sure the world could use a lot of a lot more of your stories. Uh, I hope so. I, I hope I keep getting to make movies. That's all. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be meditating for that. I'm I'm not gonna be praying for that. I'm gonna be like creating energy for that in my meditation so that that keeps on happening. We have spoken about collaborations and we have spoken about, uh, you know, like some of your friends who have this need to be recognized as an artist, right? Yeah. Um, I'm curious about like what, what the dynamic is like when you make anthology films. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> like, you know, my, my really great experience is me doing Bombay talking love stories and ghost stories. Because that's the time you come together and you're doing things and we don't tell each other what to do. I don't think we even read each other's scripts. Oh. The fun starts after we have gone out and made our films and sit together 
and then try to find a theme kinetic similarity and then we realized oh my god uh, most stories everybody had a bird we realized that last stories all the stories were from the perspective of a woman those things happened organically and then from there on to marketing pitching is so much fun it's so much fun to see especially karan johar at work because he's so good at everything about how to pitch the film and every and he's so funny dibakar banerji has his own very chitranjan park bengali sense of humor which is so unique to him it's just so much fun that time when four of us come together it's just i look forward to that but that those anthologies i can do every year <laughs> it's that's the fun part of it that that is incredible so like so when you talk about like each one of you having a bird uh in in your stories like it's more about the more it's more about have using those uh symbols right which are kind of like yeah, yeah. repeated over time right uh yeah what is your relationship to symbolism uh beyond that when when you look at your own uh, like individual work no this is not a conscious reference this is for me like i have seen so much such a so much genre from that all the symbolism that you see even in a ghost stories is it actually just comes from having read so much edgar allan poe it doesn't come from anywhere it, it comes from the time when you really could not do much with cinema so you used symbols <laughs> right when two people kissing or two flowers meeting i don't like that and even in hollywood yeah <laughs> when even in hollywood movies yeah because it comes from there so it, for me it's as simple as that i don't try to make it too complex and also sometimes it's it always comes from censorship so for example when i was using consciously talking about symbols like when i was making paanch yeah and i needed to show a head being chopped off and i know i can't show that i just saw a doll's head roll over a knife goes out of frame a doll's head roll, rolls over because i'm trying to communicate an idea and i know i cannot show the visceral details of it so for me in black friday we when we did not have enough money to buy fake blood so we made the torture room red it was lit up by red color so everybody calls it like it's, it's an idea to because we didn't have money to buy blood yeah wow. so we made the room blood so when the light is blood red then even water looks like blood <laughs> everything any dark liquid looks like that yeah so you know everything comes out from a need in gulal all the symbolism comes from the need of wanting to communicate something so political and knowing that you can't say that so yeah. that's why the prithvi bana the character comes in the character comes in that becomes a voice in the songs and during gulal i discovered that i can be more subversive through songs so songs became more political in my film whether it's in mukkawaz or in raman raghav Yeah. wherever so music became started becoming my subversion and so every time the subversion is only because you can't show a certain thing like even in ghost stories the idea of the bird and everything it just comes from a very simple story of you know the bird that lays its egg in the other nest yeah and if you touch a the crows or if you touch a bird's egg the the bird destroys it uh-huh 
just those two stories and yeah. it is all about mis- miscarriage and this girl woman who self induces a miscarriage and lives in the trauma of that and like you know it's she is her own enemy yeah so that's why we use the bird the motif of the bird it's very simple it's not very yeah, complicated yeah. in mostly in no smoking because i was telling the story of my own life in a way and i wanted to everything that i wanted to hide so that's where we sat down and tried to create symbolism which 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 was which only we could see <laughs> right and it didn't translate so well so <laughs> it always comes from censorship right it always comes from the whole idea of i want to say this but people won't let me say it so let me say it the other way yeah is how the iranian cinema was created with children They're all political films but they were with children protagonists so the censors saw it as children films uh, uh i want to touch a little bit on uh talking about how music is used in indian cinema right uh yeah. a lot of times when when i talk to my friends uh, in america it's like they always refer to those garanjor kind of music you know where there's uh, where, yeah. where it's a massive set piece and it's just like it's a whole thing right and yeah, it, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't essentially uh, i'm not uh, this is not a comment on current's work it's just like but uh, what what's interesting about that kind of use of music in film is that it doesn't essentially always have to serve the story it can be just kind of it, yeah. it can be a release it can it can be a new turning point in in, in some way yeah but i think it also works for a lot of our audience it works here because you know our whole culture and the culture of marriage and people doing this dance things and it has become such an intrinsic part of it and it it, it works here and it's like literally it's, it's it's part of our cinema i can't do it simply because i don't have conviction or like my cinema comes from somewhere else so i i will use music as part of the narrative and i wish i can do it like karan or farah khan does or sanjay bansali does like i literally when my my favorite past time when i'm very depressed and low i only watch dance videos from various dance shows and and like of hrithik roshan i'll just have a hrithik roshan dance videos of parak that's my that's how i deal with depression when i'm alone i'm only playing instagram dance videos so for me I, but i cannot do that i cannot do that i cannot create that because i don't have the conviction to create that but it's so much part of me to watch it also if like if i if i go to a hindi film and every hindi film starts using songs like i do it will be very boring <laughs> so for me a farah khan bansali and karan johar three people i know who do this very well yeah i won't say that about anyone else maniratnam does it very well but mostly karan johar farah khan and sanjay bansali they invest in it yeah they literally do it like it should be done everybody else copies them right i i remember that i really loved the choreography and choreography and the music in raban uh yeah that that was a maniratnam film right yeah yes absolutely coming back to my question is like so how do you suggest like uh, because for um, you know like international filmmakers and audiences india has become such a massive interest you know like i, I was reading this uh, statement put out by i think that's on that's driven by economy it's yeah. just that we are too many in number yeah <laughs> like when the world has gone online it's just our population that has got the world interested in us 
because now with with, with the world going online and data becoming such a the new oil where it is an, totally dependent on time and number of people consuming it suddenly india has become very important it's not anything else i don't think it's anything else no exactly that that's what i was saying is like uh, when i read the statement put out by they said uh more than half a billion people speak hindi so we yeah. have to get there you know uh we have to make the story so clearly it's it's more about the finance of it the economy of it that's why they're wrong and this is they they should say the most of more, like half a billion people are indians every indian doesn't speak hindi that's something that they don't understand yeah that's why if you see most ott platforms coming to india they're all investing in hindi language content they're investing very less in tamil or telugu or malayalam or any other language content because their their understanding is that india is one language hindi <laughs> right right they will still take time to discover that it's much more than hindi yeah i i think um, on on the contrary i think amazon is trying to like invest more in regional yeah. cinema they, right they but my only yeah, yeah. my only conflict there is like they are not i they're not dubbing the films in hindi you know what i'm saying no, they're not yeah they're not I guess this my question now is strictly for your producer side even though you don't get too much into the finance of it or you know like the marketing of it. Yeah. At what point do you um as a producer at what point do you think it's feasible or is justified to put in like hundreds of crores of rupees in a project? I don't I I can't answer that question because I have made a film that cost the studio close to that 9000 crores which is bombay velvet because i when i conceived the film in the way i wanted to do it and everything my cost wasn't so much so the film was sold at that higher price before it it came back to me and then the cast was changed and then a lot of other things happened with the film and suddenly it was like we had to justify the money to sold that and that's why the set was created and to create comfort for things and like that i don't know i don't know how these things work i believe in ideas i believe in people and i only can do and give as much as i can listen i i i am very good at minimizing cost i i i literally sit down and cut costs on the film and say this much is reasonable to raise so that nobody loses money so you can make more movies after this so i work like that i cannot i don't have the courage or the where with all or even the vision to create something like a bahubali or invest that kind of money i would be i would be petrified i have had one experience like that in my life i'll be very scared to think of something at that big a scale right oh uh, which which is which actually so uh, in turn it's actually just boosting more more you know like small budget um, movies and that at the end of the day it is creating it it is actually helping sustain the culture right yeah yeah uh okay so with that i the question is related to a part of the conversation that i have with my friends like a lot of the time just for you know shits and giggles and it's like the question is do you think that noir i mean the question is between the distinction of noir and thrillers right can yeah. are they could they be comprised under the same genre or no 
Wow. I don't think so. I think a thriller doesn't always have to be a noir. Most noir can be a thriller, but not every thriller is a noir. Can you can you walk us through that a little bit more? But I think uh, I don't know. See, but like I think it's also not like every noir can be a thriller. It's not really that. Noir comes from a certain kind of a bleakness, right? And a dark darkness. And thriller doesn't always have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like some thriller. Sometimes, like even a Marvel movie is a thriller. Or even a like a fugitive, or there have been these amazing all the Mission Impossible films are thriller, but none of them are noir. Yeah, noir comes from a certain bleakness. Noir comes also come from poverty. Row noir comes from like you know. I remember long time back I was reading what what was the name of the book? Lux Santhe's book, Low Life. Lux Santhe wrote a book called Low Life, which describes the whole thing of noir about. It's amazing because see, noir comes from a, a noir also is a kind of a philosophy. which is a which is a philosophy that emerges from the kind of survival of the life of people who practice it on the streets and the low lives and the criminals and what we think like that yeah the thriller is a thriller is a mood thriller is a thriller is a something that creates a familiar feeling in you no one can leave you with different kind of feelings at the end of it absolutely there's a certain bleakness to it So noir has to have a stylistic approach that comes from the history of it. Uh, not really stylistically a stylistic approach. It it needs to have a certain kind of a it's the soul it's, it's where the soul of it lies. Okay. Noir is will have much more of a hard truth to it than a thriller would. So between noir has the the uncomfortable truth in it, always right. more often than not. So between ugly and Raghav Raman, right? Uh, Raghav Raman two point zero. Which one is more noir? I would say uh, between ugly and Raman Raghav. Uh, oh yeah, Raman. Yeah. Ah, uh, I think ugly is both a thriller and a noir. Right. Because Raman Raghav is more noir than a thriller. Right, right. And uh, I just wanted to touch a little bit on those characters. Can you talk a little bit about the inspiration behind the character of uh, Shomik Bose? Which I was scared by that character. I was like, I was like, wow. No, it's it's uh, it's, it's like this. You know, it's like it's a lot of. They all a lot of those elements come from your personal life experiences. I've seen someone who. It's like if I talk about say me being in school, going to, when I went through bullying, my first reaction in the sense it didn't matter how hard I tried. Once you're bullied and once you're put down, that becomes your reputation as long as you last in school. So for me, I just wanted to escape school, grow up fast, and finish school and get out so I can start my life new. So when I finished school and I went to university, the first thing I did was. become buff i joined the gym the reaction to bullying was that and you know i and what happens is when you leave school and a lot of my friends i talk to and we are people who are touching our 50s we are we are in our midlife and we left school when you we were 16 like 34 years ago 32 years ago right 
and you talk to them and i see a lot of them who cannot let go of the glory the the heroes in in school and their lives have become have become so defined by what they were in school that it has totally derailed and become failures i have very close friends who are so right wing a uh, one person in particular who inspired me so much to pursue my passion and become a filmmaker but he was always one of those people who would rather preach than do things would 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 into i i call them intellectual terrorists would intellectually like you know diminish you and make you feel like of a much lesser of a person because you could not articulate like him he didn't up end up making any films all these years and he's one of the guys who started heading the wing that would make fake fake videos for the right wing and he's gone so extreme right and he makes those fake videos and if i remember him from then i'm like what is what is this transformation so shomik bose for me comes from a person whose personal hatred for having been in love with this woman who was supposed to be this like the most miss university or something kind of a woman but he was so nothing compared to the man that she chose in life it turned around and now suddenly he is with that woman and that man is her ex husband and his whole sense of power and validation comes from that sense of ownership and power and which is so false which comes from rejection so not just that he treats this woman who he loved and worshiped as if like his whole life is full of vendetta his entire life is of vendetta against this woman and the child and that man he is a terrifying man because deep down he is so scarred and he is unforgiving unforgiving of something that he experienced when he was not this person when he was very young and i've seen that happen i've seen that happen in like uh it is all based on true elements of a story there's there was an i i ips officer who uh, from he was from bihar and he was a, a senior from university and he liked this girl in university very much and she treated him like she would call him bihari like you know how the like anybody from north india is kind of put in inverted commas and she call him like that and she would put him down because he didn't speak in english he ended up doing very well in his of uh, upsc exams went to the girl's parent for proposal got the parents to him and he married that girl the girl who put him down and he never touched her he never consummated the marriage did not let her get out of the marriage kept her locked into the house it became such a big scandal he just made her life miserable for rejecting him and laughing at him in the university in the first year when he liked her and wanted to go and give her a rose on a rose day so no you you get scared of people like that so there's nothing that i put in my film which comes from my imagination it's i borrowed it from life and it's scary it's so scary and he's actually on the surface of it he's a very nice person barring to his wife he's a straightforward person honest police officer does everything right his entire hatred and entire 
Venom is reserved for this one woman who humiliated him in front of a college canteen in front of people. And he made her life miserable. He made her pay for it like that. Eventually, she put a case on him. Yeah, yeah. And eventually, she got a divorce. Yeah, that's incredible. Oh, wow. I'm like just blown, blown by uh, the obsession people are consumed by. And yeah, people are consumed by a lot of hatred. and People are unforgiving. The, the, the kindness, the lack of kindness, and that, that is what drives a lot of things. Yeah. And speaking of kindness, it's like, um, you know, like I, I, I haven't been home in a bit. Um, and that's one thing that I do miss about India is that, that unconditional kindness. I mean, it's not always unconditional, yeah. but there's... There... No, today, today it's, a, it's a very different country right now. Yeah. Right now it's very difficult to be here. Oh. Talking about these, you know, like these really troubled men. Uh, and I've seen this idea of like troubled characters in all of your filmography, you know, like when it comes to the characters you write or the films you produce written by other other writers. Uh, what is it about these troubled characters which is so interesting to you? And why do you think it's important for the Indian audience to kind of like face the music when it comes to these characters? I think it's more, more, it's more, it's more of a reaction to Indian cinema. Because our characters are so black and white, the evil people are just so evil and good people are just so good that they're diabetic. But you know, there's not, nothing. I'm saying it's very humane about being troubled. It's very, some, there's something very human about being troubled, having to deal with things about life, about envy, jealousy, all those things. So when you see Hindi cinema, the, the girl is always this beautiful girl next door with no other quality to her. And the the protagonist is always this guy who can fight the villains and is the best in college and is they're the best of clothes and can dance very well and can play the guitar and can do everything. And everybody else is just rich. You know, it's just more of a reaction to so so flawed character because that's what I like flawed people are flawed. I'm flawed. People around me are flawed. And I I think that representation of people is. Being real and flawed is so less in cinema. Now it's becoming more mainstream. Now at least mainstream cinema is talking about flawed protagonists with with characters with Aishman Khurana, Khurana becoming a star. He like he embodies every male flaw in Indian patriarchal yeah. man in in mainstream now. Uh, even when I was talking to Vikram Aditya, I brought this thing up. It's like a lot of a lot of these movies now are they're just set in UP, uh, Uttar Pradesh. Yeah. Uh, for the people who don't know, uh, why do you think that is? What well, what is so attractive about Uttar Pradesh or Delhi? It's just a reaction because no, it's like the herd mentality. One thing worse than the second thing worse than see Hindi being the language. Hindi is a, not the language of. Mar- Maharashtra or Mumbai. Hindi is a language from Uttar Pradesh. All the early writers, either if they were Urdu writers, they came from Pakistan. And all the Hindi writers came from Uttar Pradesh, Bihar or Madhya Pradesh. But these three states. Most of the Punjabi and Urdu writers came from Punjab and Gujarat and not and mostly Punjab and Pakistan. Punjab and Sindh in Pakistan. And that's what made the Hindi film industry. Or most filmmakers came from Bengal. You know, 
so that that is how it was earlier but and then it became mostly the second generation came into the film industry that grew up in bombay in trial rooms watching films made by their parents or made by their uncles or somebody or the other so they did not they had not lived life so they came a phase of 10 to 15 years where entire cinema was nri cinema made by the second generation who did not know anything outside their foreign trips and weddings and then came all these filmmakers from outside and they brought their cinema with them so if you see all the all of us came from outside and we brought our stories with us so our films kind of became about that and what happens is when one film is told about bihar or up is told and it works then the more filmmakers from there come in and they jump in and they want to tell their stories too and that's how it slowly kind of grows and now is that phase because the mainstream actors could not understand a story based in up so there's always a second or third option of a actor who's not getting much opportunities like an ayushman khurana who starts taking on these roles and then he becomes a star now the mainstream actors want to play north indians but they can't be as north indian as somebody who's already embodied that so it is 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 also driven by success and box office more than the need to be universal and that only comes from the writer or the director talking about these troubled characters and talking about having human flaws you mentioned a while ago that you know like whenever you feel depressed you start watching you know like dance videos on on instagram my question is like all of these all of these issues that you have dealt with your characters in your film have you been able to find the answers or the solutions to those problems as well no i i i i really i don't look for answers because from i always believe answers lead to questions further questions that's why i feel like if you part of an argument then you have an answer to something then it leads to next question and it becomes a loop yeah i just like to just like to put things there and leave it to people i really finding answers is until this is the universal truth uh and that is something that you mm. are chasing or seeking i am i'm not i'm not i don't i'm not seeking that at all okay i i always seek my next film next thing that engages me I, at this moment i'm dealing with being able to write yeah so something i'm just that nothing more than that incredible uh with that in your opinion what makes for you know like in your opinion as a writer and a director what makes for an iconic film scene or or just an effective film scene i have no idea you know because all the I- iconic scenes are always in retrospect it's only when you look back you know something as iconic and it can be a mistake sometimes some like like you know some things just come out of nowhere you don't know what it will be like you wouldn't know what what line becomes iconic i i still can't understand like why some lines do become iconic like for example the latest film of mine the line aloo ko to aloo hi khilaungi paneer khana to paneer bano i i i never thought it could become so funny to people i i saw it as something very ordinary and out of place and i was like okay i wish she said mushroom instead of paneer because we are talking about modi eating mushroom on tv <laughs> so in my head it was like i wish i had they turned paneer into mushroom 
because it would make a larger political statement. But just that line works very well for people. Or like very famous line from Gangster Masipur, Tumse na ho paega. It's just the way Tigmanshu says it and it's almost half improvised. Just the way it does it. So, you know, it becomes something else. And there's another line in the movie is like, Jab tak Hindustan mein cinema hai, tab tak log chutiya bante rehenge. That line was a statement. That line was a statement. That line is like my... That line was my statement on the people's obsession with the mainstream star cinema of the 90s and early 2000 because people used to just blindly follow the star and it i think 80s and 90s we regressed you know by 70s we were growing as a cinema we were growing yeah and then 80s and 90s we went down and then again yeah now we are starting to kind of step out of it so that was that was a statement that i made that was a statement that was deliberately written in from the perspective of a villain so, because you can't make a statement from a hero yeah 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 people will lose their minds <laughs> i hope you enjoyed our conversation if you have any ideas or suggestions for our future episodes send us a message on instagram at portbox Here's another reminder for you to subscribe to our show. New episodes every Monday.